no, you're not seeing double. TRBM ammo style gets a double episode release. You can save one for next Wednesday. Shoot, you don't have to listen to any of them, but if you're hearing me already, you might as well stick around. I'm gonna be brief on this episode. Uh, this is an interview with a best-selling author, Martha Carr, who's currently running a Kickstarter and has done so several times for different books very successfully. She adds to the conversation that I started some months ago with Robin and Michael J. Sullivan on how to run a successful Kickstarter. And I wanna bring attention to a couple of things. Martha is no nonsense. She really cuts to the chase. This episode starts out at a blazing speed and it never slows down. So go ahead and have a notepad out, be ready to write down some things, review this episode. If you've ever thought about writing, uh, running a Kickstarter for your books, this is a must listen, uh, and she makes a great point. It's one of the only places where you can get the email addresses of your readers. Now, we all know, uh, if we've been listening to the podcast for a while, that Ammo does the same thing for you, and that is what really kicked off my interest in the first place is I found Robin and Michael J. Sullivan talking about the power of your email list and your readers and how to keep those readers interested in your future work. And then I found Ammo, which was uh, an advancement of that idea that didn't have some of the restrictions. But man, Kickstarter is still a network that's untapped. So if you have the ability to run a small one and kind of learn this process, I think that there are hundreds, if not thousands of readers out there that are just waiting to catch your book. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation. Oh, one last thing. Contribute to Martha's Kickstarter. Go grab a book. I'm going to have a link in the show notes for you. So go to the show notes on this one. Click on her Kickstarter and grab copies of her book. You won't be disappointed you did. Thank you again. And now, without further ado, enjoy my interview with Martha Carr. If you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. TRBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters, guitar solos and spotlights were for bands, what chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? The risky and bumbling memoirist? Tangentially reverent Bible magnate? That renowned Bangor man, you decide. You know, you never know when you're doing the interview, whether or not you're a genius or just yakking. You sound like a genius in general because you're, oh, you're, you. <laughs> you're, you're succeeding at Kickstarter, which I ran into Robin and Michael J. Sullivan through a mutual friend on Twitter and reached out. And just hearing what they had done using Kickstarter was one of those aha moments in my life where I thought I'm doing everything wrong. Uh, and I want to get this out to as many authors as possible because Kickstarter enables you to direct fulfill your books uh, right. and reach this really big audience. Uh, it and also does one thing that nothing else does. Yes. It gives you the emails. Yes, right, exactly. And you were talking about that on on uh, self-publishing yeah. formula, self-publishing. Um, that may be worth more than whatever you raised. Yes, absolutely. I'm really glad that you went right there. So let's go ahead and, and dive into that. 
you are speaking to me as I am transitioning to being the host of uh, the TRBM Ammo Edition podcast. Uh, if you've ever run into Ammo, it would be on Facebook, most likely. Steve Piper is the founder of the program. Uh, I started out as just one of the people who participated in the group to sell my books directly. Uh, and so I sell all of my books through Shopify uh, and I advertise on Facebook. Uh, it's a really nice. fun program, but it's the same result as Kickstarter where you get okay. your customers' emails. And that was... Yes. The, Robin is is very directly responsible for me jumping into ammo. If I had not already had it in my head, how important email addresses were of proven buying readers, I never would have done this program. I would have seen it and thought, mm-hmm. I'm so tired of more programs trying to tell authors how to sell books because none of them work. Yeah. But there are and a couple also, that do. Also readers who have shown they like you. Yes, right. Not just that they're readers, but that they yeah. said, I like what you do. Yes. Well, so, and, and there's, there's kind of, I don't want to hear your thoughts on this too. There's a little bit of what feels like a rat race or uh, a mouse wheel of you can do free promotions for your books on Amazon and move a lot of units and maybe get some reviews. Uh, or you can do the book funnel model where you do swaps and that kind of solves it. But there's this issue if you do a free swap with somebody on book funnel that you get a lot of email addresses, but they're not necessarily buyers. Right. They may read your book, but they yeah. won't pay for it. They probably won't read it. Yes. Um, yes. And so I don't do free because um, mm. you get a lot of people who pick up a book because it's free. They they don't like your genre. They're never going to read it or they will. And they'll leave a one star review because they don't like the genre that you yeah. will not win. And also I'm a big believer in you've got to decide why you're doing this. And if earning money is one of them, don't give away what you're doing. You, and there's mm-hmm. no other industry where they say, you know, you should give away part of what you make. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if one, unless it's maybe the food industry, they might give away some stuff, but <laughs> even they don't do it to the volume that indie writers have been known to do. And I am not a fan at all. Your brain is exactly where where mine was in terms of food would be the only other industry that somewhat mirrors it. Uh, I have a friend who is... Uh, successful in visual arts out of Minneapolis. And the other day he put up a fairly long response to the call of the city of Minneapolis wanted artists to submit for a piece of art that was going to be posted in a fairly public place, but they were going to donate that work. And it was a very large piece of art. So those, these, these rare cases where people think that artists are just supposed to give our stuff away. Where do you think that, that, that idea started? Was that, um, well, Is that first in of all, social media? it's it's disrespectful. Hugely. First of all. But the secondly, if you look at the way art departments and music departments are treated in public schools, you start to see the trend that it's seen as unnecessary mm. or a self-indulgent. Oh, and great. so people don't treat it with the same respect that they would treat anything else. Mm-hmm. So you as the author need to start the ball rolling. If you have respect for yourself, and you're, you know, you're, you're kind to your fans, you're interacting, but you have respect for you, you know your own worth, you're not going to have a problem because the people who don't have respect for you are going to go elsewhere because you're not feeding them what they want. So it right. starts with you. And it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You build you. That's that's so brilliant. Uh, I just got an email from my uh, alma mater. I, I got a um, 
master's in fiction writing out of Eastern Washington University. It's the second time since I've graduated uh, that they have sent something out and said they're looking to chop uh, departments right now. And we're on the top of the list. So we're asking every graduate uh, what was the worth of the degree to you? What was the value in it? That's Why should we question. still exist? Uh, and right. and so we have to send in essays and I probably will send in a clip of this podcast because the value is really obvious. Um, not everybody is going to use their degree. Almost nobody uses their actual degree in the field they thought they would. But the things right. that I learned in my master's are, are really valuable. And the arts degrees, I think, made me uh, a, a more capable lot of things. So well, also back in during the depression, the federal government saw fit to pay photographers and writers mm. to travel around during the depression and record it. And some of wow. the photographs and books that we adore came from that era when they were paid by the federal government. And they're the foundation of some of the things we call classics. So wow. when you, you may take it for granted, but you also are relying on it. You are setting a pace right now that is really enjoyable to me. I did not know that about the government paying artists. Um, obviously, so, I do know uh, about the period uh, in terms of, of art. Mice and Men. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, shoot. What's the one about? Grapes of Wrath is the one I'm Grapes thinking of. of it's got to be there, too. Yeah. Yeah. He was hired to go around and record about the Dust Bowl families, and he quit wow. so he could write Grapes of Wrath. Oh, that's, oh, wow. And that's yeah. so writerly, by the way. I mean, I hate to say that, but but that does fall into the stereotype of a writer. It's like you get hired to do something and then realize, no, I, I think I'd be better if I wrote this as a novel. Under my name and I keep it. <laughs> yes. And also um, those beautiful black and white photographs that are so moving of the Dust Bowl yeah. were uh, paid. Those were photographers paid by the federal government. They wouldn't exist. We wouldn't have that emotional connection to it if it weren't for that fact. So a lot of people, and also, by the way, I get consistently every week, at least one or two, if not more emails from people who say I'm taking fewer drugs. My PTSD is easier to manage. I don't feel so alone because you made me laugh. Oh, wow. Right. And so I always say I write recess because I write urban fantasy action adventure. I mean, yeah. But at the same time, um, what will consistently sell books is character development. And that's why people come back because they want to know how their friends are doing. And um, if you in my particular thing is um, I'm trying to say we're all okay, we'll be there for each other through an action adventure and magic. And so that matters that people who feel alone or don't know how to deal with um, pain or trauma for a little while, they just get to laugh and know mm. everything will be okay. That matters. That's a really interesting perspective. I want I want to linger here. It's not necessarily the brunt of what I want to discuss, but I think that there's something really like valuable. Like Kickstarter, in this. you mean? Well, I do want to talk about Kickstarter. I love well, what you're doing. Well, at least at um, some point. Yes, exactly. But I want to stop and talk a little bit about this idea of entertainment as a form of therapy, because what I run into a lot in the writing community, and I think I see it more frequently from folks who have not made that push into publishing and treating this like a profession, but the idea of like, uh, only writing for entertainment or only reading for entertainment and not thinking about the multiple layers in which any book is coming across. I think about uh, C.S. Lewis being a kind of fantasy, and he certainly had an agenda. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien has an agenda. I think that um, right. when I talk to Michael J. Sullivan, he has an agenda, maybe not quite as, as, as religious as the other two I mentioned, but 
I can't think of anybody who doesn't have a message that they want to convey, but entertainment, if you do it well, is what everybody feels and senses. You're getting these emails that people are saying, you've actually helped me. So I need to hear from you a little bit about, uh, do you view yourself as having a little bit of, um, uh, Agenda is a strong word. So if you don't, if you react poorly to that, just a, a, a mission or a purpose. Yeah. Right, right. I, I don't think I do. Um, I try. So I think that writers succeed best when they write what they want to see. And, um, and because we're all basically average humans in different niches. So mm. I write um, what uh, moves me. And it just happens to connect with people. By the way, you can be a super successful author and be reaching less than 1% of the readership out there, which is kind of good news because, you know, there's always new eyeballs. But so um, I personally can't set out in order to move somebody. Um, That's just going to happen organically. and, And that's the way it does happen. And really what I'm setting out to do is why I say I write recess is I hope you have a good time. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess, you know, too, I do have the belief that if you take away all the bullshit, um, we're all more alike than we can see, especially yes. at the moment. Yes. And um, I guess that's probably in there uh, in the um, way I set up the characters and uh, the growth they're going to have is to learn how to work together. I think I do that pretty consistently, but I'm also, you know, if you can't tell, I swear a bit. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I have a snarky sense of humor and I was raised on television. So I have a lot of deep ref- cultural references that aren't very um, sophisticated that I like to throw in. So yeah. people seem to like it. Yeah, absolutely. One of one of my favorite authors, I mention him somewhat frequently on the podcast is David Foster Wallace. I love that he's all over the place. Like he'll go very cerebral. He'll go really lowbrow uh, in everything in between. I enjoy when you can traverse a lot of different languages and dialects in the way that you bring a world uh, to life. One other thing I want to talk about, and then we're going to jump into the real nitty gritty of the the Kickstarter, uh, getting the emails, the the financial benefits of all of that, is you talked about urban fantasy. You described it in a way uh, when you're talking with James that I had never heard it described before, which was like uh, modern day with a little bit of magic splashed into it. Um, magic in a realistic setting. Magic in a realistic setting. Thank you. That's exactly yes. right. So mm-hmm. I've, I've been running my ad for my books, and and it's it's certainly not urban fantasy, but I call it detective fiction with a splash of magic. So it's kind of the same idea. That's urban fantasy. That's okay. Urban see, fantasy. I would I would never have called it that, but when you said that, I thought that sounds kind of like me, except it's so yeah. noir, so detective that I I keep holding back. I think I'm going to change my ads to include urban fantasy readers because I think I'm missing in, out people. Yes, I would agree because once you throw magic in. You're in urban fantasy land. And there's plenty of people who are doing detective like stories in mm-hmm. urban fantasy where the detective's a wizard or, you know, the yeah. detectives. Yeah. So I really, that's urban fantasy. Okay. So, uh, and I, I, I want to ask who are the the urban fantasy authors that you started reading? When did you pick up on it as a genre and where did the inspiration come from for you to write it? Well, I, this is, yeah, I went to, so I was writing thrillers and no one cared. I mean, the people who found it loved it, but um, I couldn't get enough people even notice I was alive. And I went to a meetup where back in 2017, I think, Mm -hmm. Michael Anderley was speaking. Nobody ever heard of him. And he had said that he was making six figures in three months. And I thought, 
that can't that's not possible but i'm gonna go and see if he has a marketing tip or two <laughs> and there were a hundred about a hundred authors in the room and halfway through i realized he had accidentally come across something that none of the rest of us were paying attention to and he was right and at the end he said something he won't say anymore he said i'll stay as long as anyone has a question and wow. everybody else was filing out past me saying, he's lying. That's not wow. true. It can't mm -hmm. be done. Mm -hmm. And um, there was me and two other old guys up there. And I was the only one who asked for his number. And he's the one who then called me later and said, um, would you be interested in urban fantasy? And I thought, why not? And frankly, if I really looked at my life, you know, I was a magician at my brother's seven-year-old birthday party. And I was deeply into Star Trek. I mean, it was kind of there. Yeah. But I wasn't seeing it. And it took off like a rocket from the very beginning. It was where mm. I belonged all along. That is so much. However, fun to hear. I should say, I should say, much like you, um, the, the urban fantasy stories I do consistently have a thriller theme to them. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just, you know, what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, when I when I read Raymond Chandler, I could just I could repeat that voice in my head. I was able to mimic the kind of tone that he had. And I already enjoy being a little bit verbose. So describing the setting and the scenery and making it a little pulpy is fun for me. Um, and, and that kind of grew into, OK, I get how to structure a story around that voice, but I take myself too seriously. And so I throw that magic in there and suddenly I'm at play. And when I'm at play, uh, there's yeah. laughs on the page. And I think that that translates. So readers seem to really appreciate that unless they don't. Uh, and I'm not going to go into it, but it's funny when I do get a bad review, people will say uh, your character is eating something new in every paragraph. That's humanly impossible. And I'm like, stick around. It's a, uh, it's there for a reason. <laughs> so well, um, I find it's, I find it's very useful in urban fantasy in the first couple of paragraphs to set up what yeah. kind of creature is this so that everybody's on the same page. I don't yeah. really agree with the let's surprise the reader. I mean, okay, you do yeah. surprise the reader, but not with names, what the person is, where they are, the basics. Yep. You got to set the stage. It'd be right. like having a movie where it stayed blank for a while and all you heard was the dialogue and we'd all be sitting there saying, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The The case with, with my book is it's a structure much like Groundhog Day, or at least the first book in the series is much like Groundhog Day. But you have, mm -hmm. and it's the same thing you you ran into when Groundhog Day first came out, is, is that up until Bill Murray dies the first time, you don't have any idea that you're dealing with something a little bit off the beaten path. It just kind of feels right. like a snarky guy reporting on a particular day. And then uh, here we go, start the day over again. Um, and so I, right. I was talking with my literary agent at the time and she, she said, have you ever thought about this before? And so that was adding in the partner, the main character's partner, his name is Lyle. He just eats constantly. And that was her idea to basically say like, tip them off that something's not quite as it seems yeah. so that by that first death, they're like, oh, okay, I'm getting it now. I'm feeling more accustomed to where it wasn't such a surprise. Um, enough about me. I want to talk about you and your Kickstarters because you're the second person I've had on who's done it. And if, if we can help other writers to understand the power of direct fulfillment, getting those email addresses, uh, I just, I'll be a happier person I'll in general. Your own store. Yes. I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and by the way, after the Kickstarters completed, um, my own store will open up. So, um, I'm going to keep building that as well. So yeah. yeah. So that Amazon, it isn't the end all be all. 
Not at all. Yeah. In fact, I think I think it's a good place for authors to start to build a presence. There are some things that you can do. Still, yes. the majority of readers are going to go there to look at reviews for and now. things of that nature. So I still, exactly for now, I still try to tell people, even when they buy directly from me, to put a note in the book if I send out a physical copy or something in the subject matter of the ebook that says, I would love a review on Amazon uh, as it helps me find new readers. So those kind of things can be helpful. But Let's start at the beginning. How did you find Kickstarter as a solution to your problem? So I also have a learning disability. I can't see numbers. It's called yes. dyscalculus. Tell me so more about that. Ads. I heard you talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, so back in the day when we sell at checkbooks, um, I always had an accidental savings account in there because I couldn't see that I'd written it down. So I'd write it twice, deduct it twice. Oh. And so I had a weird savings account going on. <laughs> And I can't, I can't consistently see numbers. It's, it's exactly like dyslexia, but it's numbers. So okay. doing ads on Amazon, it's always been kind of hard for me to track yeah. it. Okay. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons I was with Michael because he's so good at it. Um, we yeah. could, we could, we made a good pair. Kickstarter, it's not as necessary. And so I knew right away that it was a more level playing field for me and I could really come on strong. Okay. So Talk that to me, me a little bit about um so and dyslexia is a little bit different for different people who have it. So I've gotten some some kind of angry notes before when I've uh characterized things a little too narrowly, but my understanding for the most part of dyslexia is that like words kind of will float around or move or it's hard to focus on them and they kind of transpose uh and so it's really right. a difficulty to focus. Okay, so so you can and, see and also, like the numbers me- but they kind of yeah, don't arrange and themselves. they aren't really consistent. Yes. Okay. And also, if you try to talk to me about something in terms of numbers, not mm-hmm. objects, I really can't follow you. Wow. So, okay. yeah. And so I got to let it go and look for where I do belong. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I, so often when I'm having conversations with people who have had the kind of success that you've had, uh, somewhere in there, it seems like a disability oftentimes is part of that. It's hard not to notice the consistency of that theme. It's like you you run into a wall where most people don't see a wall. And so you're forced to find a way to develop a strength outside of the common boundary. But you also line. don't have the fear of living outside of the box because mm. you do anything. Because you've already been there. No, you live there. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and do, and being there and living there are very two very different things. And if you live there, yeah. Then the idea of doing something new is just doing something new. You know that I know there'll be a learning curve. I know there'll be missteps, but I'm not mm-hmm. concerned about missteps because you know I've known yeah. before, and it's just part of the being. And that's actually yeah. part of success. There will be missteps. There will be money spent that it's like, ooh, that was bad. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. the faster you can, and if you cannot blame yourself, if you can see it just as an ish, as a something that needs a solution, and perhaps the solution is just. Um, let it go, then you're faster to move on and not take it personally. And you're already back on track. And you also will have learned something, no matter what it was you did, you will have learned something you're going to take with you. It's when you say, it's when you make it about ego. What did I do? Why was I wrong? That you're going to slow yourself down and wear away. And it's not the case. Even if you did really something boneheaded, who cares? I mean, you know, so how did that happen? Did I not check things enough? Am I going too fast? Do I need somebody to, to double check it? When you can get take ego out of it and making it about you and just say, how do I fix it? 
and yeah. keep you know this in the solution might just be the beginning of one it doesn't have to be the final solution it's just what do i need to do first in order to fix this those are good words no matter who you are listening right now um I know I struggle with that personally. I think, especially when you talked about the ego, I tend to be actually fairly uh, friendly towards people who talk about having big egos because I know I have a really big ego um, and I don't see all of that as being an issue. But when you when you mentioned- Yeah, I don't actually idea, mean big ego. I don't actually mean uh, big ego. I mean yeah, ego. So right. when I say, you know, when you see a writer and they just feel crushed because mm-hmm. they had a release and it went, and yeah. they're saying, I just, I try and try and it must be me. That's yes. ego. Right. Ego is the thing that tells you it's you. Yeah. And I'm saying take that out of there. It's right. not you. Yeah. You made you you made a miscalculation somewhere. Look for the miscalculation, ask for help, but don't make it about a um an up or down on whether or not you're worthwhile. Yeah. But if the mistake feels big enough that you feel trapped, uh and uh, like what 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 way would you pivot? If you felt trapped because you made a mistake and you can admit you made a boneheaded right. mistake, but you feel trapped, what would you do? And I have made boneheaded mistakes. Some yeah, grand me too. Ones. Me too. But I've been doing this for 30 some years. And so, um, you know, when it's a book, the basic elements, blurb, cover, story. And so if it's, I would start with story and look for um, fans or just people online, who are not in writers groups, you want regular humans yes. who, and not the, not your friends or family and uh, who will read it for you and give you their opinion. And you mm-hmm. want to look for the commonalities. I mean, you know, you kind of let go of the way to the left or way to the right and what's, what common themes. And then if they're saying the char- the story doesn't hold together or it took too long for the characters to really be introduced, then you might look for a line editor, um, which is mm. um, somebody who will help you with the story and see if you can strengthen it. I mean, I have somebody who reads my stuff and it still happens mm-hmm. where they'll say, you need to reverse this. Yeah. So I don't try to do it all alone. Then the next thing is the cover. And um, then I would go online and look at um, books that are doing well and see, is it one character or two? Are mm-hmm. they facing me? What colors are they using? And mm-hmm. you start to see there are tropes that are necessary. And am I using them? Or, you know, did I decide to go off and do my own thing? Because the reason why those tropes are important is because when somebody is um, sliding through Amazon with their finger on their phone, whether they know it or not, their eye is picking up on um, it's purple, there's a fireball. And and so their brain is saying, you like that. Mm -hmm. When you decide, when we decide to be artistes, you know, and we're trying to sell a book, not a cover and come up with something different. That's cool, but that means that the person may slide right past you because their brain is saying, I don't know what that is. And so you either have to, to have done something so wonderful that they stop anyway, yeah. or they're sliding by you. And then the next thing is the blurb. And again, I would look for people to tell you why. And, you know, you don't have to have a fan base in order to find readers. They are out there. Right. They're yeah. very nice people. So like in urban fantasy, fans of urban fantasy is a big uh, fan group you know, on mm-hmm. Facebook and yeah. you can go in there and just ask and you just need two or three people and see and so it's going to be one of those three things to begin with if you mm-hmm. fix those chances are your, your sales will pick up and then the next thing is ads and um, you look at the numbers I mean is anybody clicking on it and mm-hmm. yeah it's so it's all going to be very like uh, pragmatic 
Yeah. And it's, can you be humble enough to take advice and go with it? Can you say yes? So also, do you have to uh, also put in what you thought, what you thought you were going to do? So they know you're not an idiot, or can you just let that go? Take the advice and go make some Mm. changes and pick yourself up and try again. And, And also if you brought the book out and it is crashed and burned, can you give away three chapters? And I mean, like, let's say they say the story is great. I mean, I, you know, I don't know why this is great. Okay. Well then go and give away the first three chapters or four chapters and um, just be humble enough to start talking to people and say, I'm new. I don't know what I'm doing, but I have Mm -hmm. this great story. And here's, here's four chapters and, you know, it's a book funnel and um, they'll go and get it. And then the other last thing I'd say too, is keep your expectations super low. So Mm -hmm. Shane Silvers, who a lot of people Mm -hmm. in urban fantasy land know, he worked at a bank. I think he's a bank manager. might have been an assistant manager. Mm-hmm. And his goal, so by the way, he didn't do well at, at first at all. And he went back and decided to start learning the business side of the craft. Mm-hmm. And then his goal was to make as much as he was making as a bank manager, which was kind of a low bar. Yeah. And uh, once he could do that, then he could quit. So his expectations, yeah. he kept them low. What happens when you keep them low is you can feel the success. Mm-hmm. So if I tell myself on this Kickstarter, I want to make $2,000, I mean, I'm going to set the thing at 500, but I hope sure. I get to 2000. There's a good chance you will. And then, you know, you can feel good about it. So yeah. make reasonable expectations, knowing you'll build on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I enjoy hearing you say this. I come from, uh, or I shouldn't say I come from, but I've been spending a lot of time in a different school of thought. Uh, I mentioned him on the podcast several different times. His name is Grant Cardone. A lot of people think that he's a jackass and probably rightfully so. Um, but he talks about, uh, he wrote a book called 10 X, um, and the idea of whatever your goal is, multiply it by 10. And then you have a big enough goal. You can actually be interested in trying to, to do something. Um, and it, it was an idea that, that really, captivated me and continues to captivate me. But I've had to uh, alter it a bit for myself because I went into my first Kickstarter with that mindset of if I set the bar too low, then I won't try as hard as I need to try to make a really big impact. And I failed to collect it. I was about halfway through to my campaign goal. And I just realized, like, I I looked at my wife one night and I said, "Um, I don't have a soul left. I can't go out and ask anybody else to pick up a copy of this book. I hate this. Um, and well, I'm from so the sales background. You, so I'll give you a middle ground that instead. Yeah. So there, and by the way, with books, so sometimes people have to st- set the goal high because if they don't get it, they can't make the product. That's true. That's is. a good point. That's, That's a really reasonable. Good point. But but with books, that 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 ain't the case. And there's no prize for setting it high. No one will care. No one will notice. But yeah. if you set it low and you hit it in ten minutes, you get to come up with your own sticker. And stick it on there that says funded in 10 minutes or whatever right. it's funded in a day. Let's put and a pen in that because I want to come back to it. I want to come back to that specific okay. thing. Go ahead and keep going, but I just want to come back to that. Okay. So the other part is so you can also so I can tell myself my goal is two million dollars, not on this Kickstarter, yeah. but that's what I'm working toward. And then I leave it open. I don't know how long it'll take, but that's what I'm consistently working toward. Hmm. And, but my initial, my day-to-day goals are much smaller and, you know, it's, I'm going to try my best to approach everything with humility Hmm. and understand this is a learning process forever, but my goal is eventually 2 million. So, you know, we'll see, but I can do it with open hands. I mean, if I only get to a million, all right. 
Yeah. Only yeah. <laughs> so many people yeah. listening that are like a million. What are you talking about? That's impossible. Um, but you know, but Patty Finn, who's doing well, very well on Kickstarter, his first one uh, a little under two years ago was two thousand dollars, and his last yeah. one I think was two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and um, and really, if you're making enough to so that your family can um, go on vacation or you have now managed to make enough to pay some, one of your kids to go to college and you have a day job, you're successful. You got to redefine what success means, but also I would say short-term, mid-term, long-term goal and let go of the expectation of when and how, because it's not going to look like you think it is. You're going to get yeah. there somewhere, but it probably won't be the way you thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, Part of the small caveat, I do like to leave this door open for the weirdos and the freaks like myself who are willing to do some really uncharacteristic things to try to accelerate their process. Um, there are some folks out there, if you hear the call to sacrifice everything you have and try to make it work, um, I, I just want to leave that door open for people to to like go well, all in. They're going to do it anyway. I think they're so. They're going to do it anyway. I, I think that's yeah, true. That's, that's I think that's yeah. true. It's it's, a, it's impossible. They're going to put a lot of stress right? on themselves. Yes, yeah. exactly. And some people can yeah. carry it. And and I don't know why that yes. is. Some people can carry it. But I also know that those people who can carry that are the kind of people who are still looking for someone to give them permission. I think all of us want permission at some point to just be like, I can do this. I'm allowed to do this. Not I, like I will yeah. succeed, you, but I'm you, allowed to. Absolutely. But you can do it with... Um, with pay, being able to pay the bills so you can sleep mm -hmm. at night. You can do both. Yeah. You know, you don't have to dump that straight. It'll be stressful enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you start your Kickstarter, those first couple of days, the adrenaline will be adrenaline will be running high all by itself. Yeah. You don't need to add anything else. We have we have teased this for quite a while. So um, I'm going to try to be as good as I can about not talking numbers since that's not what you want to do. And I respect that. How do you set this? I want to come back to this question that you mentioned. How do you set up a goal that you can actually achieve in the first 10 minutes? Or what I've been reading online is that you need to be fully funded within 48 hours or really yeah. all kinds of forces start working against you to have a successful Kickstarter. So what, what yeah. do you, I mean, let me give you my, my response okay. to that and then, and then hear from you. But my response when they say that is, I thought the Kickstarter was the pre-sale in the first place. So how am I supposed to pre-sale a pre-sale on Kickstarter? Like, how do I get people interested before question. I open the door? Yeah, that's a great. Okay. So um, I'll just use myself as a case model. Um, I, first of all, I wrote the book first. I think that is key yes. because then when I looked for influencers on uh, Instagram and TikTok and somewhere else that I can't remember. Mm -hmm. um, I had a book, I uh, I had a sample that I could send them that they could hold up. You know, if you don't do this, you don't have anything for them to hold. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was key. Secondly, uh, and then also I took the stress off myself because the book's been edited as well. So I know it's good. I know it's done. And then I went look, and I got a few reviews from um, book bloggers. So I had that as well. And then um, secondly, um, I set up so that I had a page up there. I started back in November for our May 1st release of okay. Kickstarter. And I yeah. um, started in January, I started um, advertising for it. And so that people would come and sign up to get a notice when it came out. So by the time the book was out on Kickstarter, I had over 400 
people who wanted to notice and, you know, and they don't react day one. So in um, advertising, they say you have to hear something three times before Mm -hmm. you're going to pull the, pull the trigger. And so I'm working on the three times. And also I came from traditional land where they only gave you three months from the release of the book to have success Mm -hmm. or they pull it three months. That is nothing. So all the advertising you did was uh, prior to the book's release. If you didn't have a momentum Mm -hmm. going, you were screwed. Well, Kickstarter is the same way. So you have to be pushing it as hard as you know how before the date it's released. And what you're doing, instead of looking at it as I'm going to push it as soon as it comes out. Now, that's when you're coming back to all those people and saying, here I am. And here's why you want it. Look, there's the shiny page. Come Mm -hmm. see the whole thing. And only a uh, 10% or so um, or 20% if you're doing really well of the people who signed up are probably going to actually jump. There'll be other people, too, who never heard about it and they'll jump in. But I mean, so you want to start with the biggest number possible because you're going to get only a chunk. Now, when you come back to Kickstarter the second time, um, the, a lot of the people who didn't the first time might. This is another thing I would suggest. Uh, not everybody necessarily agrees with me, so but if you're new and you're doing a trilogy or five books or six books, do one at a time. Do okay. not give away everything at once because you're trying to build an audience. And if you give away everything, yeah. you don't have a chance to build. So let unlike Amazon, in Amazon land, the most readers you'll ever get are on book one in Kickstarter land. That is not true. It's reversed. So you, um, you want to bring out that first book, let it be whatever it's going to be knowing you just got started. You're new on the block. Everybody wants to get to know you. And there's going to be people who know they can jump in at book two or three, because you're going to have your back order on there as add-ons. Perfect. So, Yeah. So they'll come, they'll wait around, see what everybody thinks of book one. Oh, hey, somebody liked it. Well, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get one and two on the second Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a chance to gradually build. And uh, so break it down and see, uh, give yourself like that long view mm-hmm. and keep it simple. Don't, I mean, I see people with all these Googles. I have some. It's not that you don't do any, it's sure. just focus on the book. And let that be your start. And you can yeah. add on the whole world later, but start make keep it simple for your own sanity and um, make sure get samples if you can afford it, you know, one or two, because you're going to need to give them to people so they'll hold it up for you. And you can find, yeah. I mean, the best review I got that the gentleman wanted $20. Uh, I was sure. And uh, it can run as high as a thousand or more. Uh, um, so, you know, but there's a whole range there. And um, people who have a following of under, you're looking for the people who have followers under 10,000, under 5,000. Okay. Those people who are following them really like them. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get a few, you're going to get pick up a few, a few, a few. Well, all the people you've picked up are brand new. They don't know who you are. That's perfect. Yeah. And um, make sure the book is good. Get some people to read it. Polish that. And so that you make a great first impression. You're Absolutely. on a blind date, basically. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about this, because this is something interesting that I haven't heard a ton of in terms of building the audience before launching the campaign or in the midst of launching the campaign, or maybe on the second book is you're talking about finding um, on the smaller side influencers. How do you find those people? I'm uh, That's a, a genuine you question. Google. I've always wondered. Okay. You Google, you Google yourself to death. Okay. You can find them. And then you go and 
read, you go look at their posts to see if they're consistent with, you know, not just your genre, but your flavor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you reach out to them and say, Hey, would you ever be interested in reviewing or, or promoting an indie book? And, you know, some will ignore you. So, and I was looking for five or six. That was my goal. Yeah. And uh, I think I found seven or eight by the time I was done. And then you just, you know, give it a whirl and crush. So, and I come from Tradland, by the way, originally. Mm-hmm. So I was used to, you go hunt for reviews. And yes. usually in Indyland, we don't do reviews from right. uh, the other side of things. We, you know, we rely on fan reviews. Yes. And, uh, so this was kind of fun to, to take a step back and mix it in where you go and get a review from a blogger and hold your breath and hope they like it. Yeah. And then when they do before the books, even on Kickstarter, that's kind of nice. So you'll notice on my Kickstarter page toward the bottom is that review. One of them. I mean, I got a few, another yeah. one, she, she was delightful, but she had a lot of spoilers in it. So there was only but so much of that review I could use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she gave way, way too much. I'm glad <laughs> she got that enthusiastic, but come on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's great. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a little bit of what I've done and tell me if I'm on the right track. The, the examples help me, and I think they'll help people listening. Uh, I went out when I started thinking about TikTok as being a potential force for good, and knowing that TikTok is uniquely uh, skilled at moving print units. Uh, I reached out right. to uh, book talkers that reviewed books and asked yes. a bunch of them if they would consider reviewing my book if I sent them a free copy. Yes. Uh, I got one response back. She was enthusiastic. She was positive. It wasn't a super long review, but it was positive. And then I kind of backed away because I, I thought maybe I'm doing this wrong or maybe this is presumptuous. Uh, I guess critique that and tell me how how could I do it better next time? Well, so why would it be presumptuous? This is what they do. You're another yeah. author. That's it's just basically what they do. You know, you mm-hmm. take a note, great, move on. And um, I would call book talkers influencers. Those are mm-hmm. influencers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And, yeah. And so um, why would anybody else get a re- be allowed to have a review and not you? Again, mm-hmm. that's ego. And, you know, not ego in the uh, definition right. we were using, but the emotional side of us that then makes it about us. It's mm-hmm. not about you. Yeah. So really, when someone says a clear no, they're doing you a favor because you're not going to waste your right. time. You're yep. ready to move on. And you just make a spreadsheet um, with all the names and numbers and a note about what you know what happened. And you just keep going and you, you keep the number low. Maybe you'll only find three. Great. That's three more than you had. And you, on book two, when it comes out, you'll use those three and look for some more. And you'll just keep going. Um, yeah. So... You have as much right as anybody else to go and ask for, I mean, become bold. I had a friend who was doing a Kickstarter and she wanted to ask um, a mutual author we know who's doing extremely well if he would do a shout out, but she was reluctant to. And I said, how is it any different if you if you ask him and say no, how is that any different from you and I right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, the only difference is you now you know he won't. I mean, I think you can handle it if he turns you down, but he might yeah. say yes. And he did say yes. And it, and oh. it actually boosted her um, Kickstarter say. at the very end. So mm-hmm. really, again, I can't emphasize it enough. Take the whole, do, you know, um, do they like me or not out of it and just yeah. ask. I asked people who I thought might say no, and, and they didn't. They said yes. So yeah. and that's that's and some people ignored me, by the way. Not everybody said yes. Yeah. I'm talking about mutual author friends who, sure. you know, what do you do? Shut up. Um, some ones who surprised me said yes. Other 
are surprising by totally ignoring them. Yeah. And that's cool. I mean, I'd rather actually have a no, but mm-hmm. I'm good with either one. And you just keep going because it's cool. I can mm-hmm. handle either one. I mean, this is a this is an art and a business, but it's not a, a blind it's not a blind date with that. The blind mm-hmm. date is with all of these readers. Right. But it's not with everything behind the scenes. That's that is not a blind date at yeah. all. Yeah, there's this this part of me that's hearing what you're talking about and I think I'm already a long ways down the road of of shedding that fear of asking. In fact, I do know that I, in some places I have a bad reputation because I'm not afraid to ask. And I've kind of accepted that as the cost of doing business a little bit. But there yeah. are those moments. There's a, a lady specifically um, who's actually not even in um, my field. She's uh, a professor at MIT and is really deeply studying from an academic perspective the idea of... Um, it's like the secret. What is that called again? I, I always lose manifestation. So she's actually doing the secret. Like, uh, it's like that. Yeah, it's like the secret manifestation, okay. but the science behind it. So there's actually a science of why when people really glam onto manifestation, it tends to work. It's not because you believe that you're going to succeed. It's because when you believe a certain thing, you behave a certain way. Um, and oh, so absolutely. she's she's showing the science behind that and saying like, you do both things at once, work really hard, but actually be clear about where you want to go and believe you're going to make it there. And you'll start but, doing the necessary yes. things to bridge that gap. Um, Absolutely. But also in the secret that pointed out and in manifestation, they point out, which I think is also, they also say um, you have a goal, but you have no expectation about how and when. Yeah. So that when, so because if you believe it has to look like this, you're going to turn down opportunities mm, because it doesn't yep. look like it. And those opportunities may have been the very things that were about to take you where you wanted to go. So take off that it needs to look like this. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's rolling their eyes, but when I make 2 million, we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm not rolling my eyes at all. (laughs) And, um, but I have a goal, but it could end up looking, I mean, you know, who knows? I'm open to it. And because I'm open to it, if somebody gives me an opportunity I'm going to say, sure, why not? Russell Nolte, who's very big in Kickstarter land, this is his philosophy, too, is he's um, he gets asked to do things like um, brand coffee with one of his books. And he's like, sure. And then it leads somewhere else he didn't see coming because of the exposure he had with his book name on a bag of coffee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other people might have said, no, I mean, I don't have time for that. It's not a book. Well, you know, the, I, I go through the doors that open. If it's an open door, then I figure that's where I'm meant to be. And if I can do it, I am. Now, there are times when you think, I do not want that at all. Okay, mm-hmm. listen to that. That is not your path. Yes. But shy of that, shy of a strong, nope, I'm going to try. And, you know, yes. see what happens. You never yeah. know. And it's fun. I mean, wouldn't you like to have your name on a bag of coffee? <laughs> yes. Seems like yeah. fun. Right. I love it. Yeah. Oh, so let, me, let me quickly mention too for anybody: the name of the Kickstarter is Amon. It's E A M O N, but it's a Gaelic word for um, a wealthy protector, and it's Amon with a lovely blue dragon on the cover. Okay, super weird because my son's name is Edmund, and that's the same root word because wealthy protector Very is the cool. definition of his name. Yes, yeah, yeah. world. <laughs> That's and great. the plot and the um, elevator line is a girl gamer in a taco truck who finds dragons and fights interdimensional demons in Austin, Texas. Amazing. <laughs> it sounds really fun. Uh, that is great. 
So uh, wrapping back around, I would I, I want to ask that particular podcast host slash professor to be a guest on my podcast. I want her to talk in depth about uh, manifestation to my audience. But there continues to be a part of me. I've had positive interactions with her on Twitter. I've had positive interactions with her on Instagram. And I want to continue to to show her that uh, I'm I'm a respectful, engaged person before I make that request because I don't wow. want to burn it before I have the opportunity that like she has a positive association with me. Um, so I, w- I want to back up a little bit uh, and and ask you about that. Where do you see there being a um, like a concerted effort? to be known by the people that then you might want to ask, or are you a, a fan of just going cold and playing the, the numbers I'm game? I'm a fan of going cold. So yeah. there, I asked um, a marketing company who um, markets everything through Kickstarter, if they might be interested in me, not for this one, but for a later one. And they aren't yet. But so I went back and said, well, what would you be looking for? And they gave me another answer. And and eventually what it came around to, they said, why don't you send us your next draft of, a, of your page in the video and mm. we'll critique it for you. That's perfect. So we there's no yes on their part yet. But what I did was open the door. So if you approach her and she says, this isn't exactly what I do, then, then you ask more questions. What is it? Unless you get a hard no, I don't want to ever yeah. see you again. Yeah, yeah. What is it that you do? What would appeal to you? And um, listen. Hmm. And then if you can uh, work toward it, that's great. So now I have a relationship with somebody who's kind of willing to mentor me. Uh, and as I grow to a big enough space where it seems like it would work for them, you know, we already have a relationship. And it's only because yeah. I, I got a no because. And so I saw room to say, well, what should it look like? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good advice. And I think inside of that is is the truth that you can spend all the time in the world thinking that you're building a positive relationship. And until you make the request, you don't know if they're going to be one of those surprising people who suddenly ghost you because you mentioned that you've had those. Right. Yeah. And also, let's say you ask her and she says no and never call me again. And uh, you, stop yeah. wasting, you stop wasting your time and you go look for somebody who does talk about the same topic but would like to talk to you. So, you know, and give her a chance. She could all also say um she could also give you a like a i would love to let's plan a date you just don't know so go and ask you know you be polite you be respectful take a hard no as for what it is say thank you very much and um other but short of a hard no i'm going to ask you another question just to see like what would it take Mm -hmm. yeah i think that that's those those are all such positive things and i think for people who are listening and feeling a little bit put off by the idea of, of making these cold approaches or something. Um, I, I, I'm just compelled to say, again, I do think your comments about ego, Martha, really connect here because you have to say, like, nothing's wrong with me if they say no. I wonder how often we're making that choice, like to not say anything because we're afraid that if they say no, it means we're not enough. Well, also, they don't know you. Yeah. They don't know you at all. So how could it be you? Because yeah. they have no idea who you are. It's them. They've decided based on these things. It doesn't mean anybody's ne- negative here. It just means based on these, they they don't want to. Okay. But if if it's a no, if it's just a flat no, you can say, uh, could you give you know, could you give me a reason? Is there any under any circumstances would you like to? Uh, and see what happens. And sometimes they say, I don't have time. I'm really not interested. 
Okay. You're, then you're done. Mm-hmm. Then you move on to um, looking for somebody who's on the same topic, but who is willing. By the way, you asked me and I said, yes. I mean, I yeah. have no hesitation. Yeah. So you, you got to start asking people and being willing to take a no, ask more questions if you can and take a yes and run with it. Yeah. Absolutely. By the way, again, only reason why Michael and I created Or Saren was because I went up and asked. And 90 some people walked out the door. And Michael and I do seven figures a year. So, you know, where are all those 90 authors now? Right. That is absolutely the truth. And it's, I'm glad you wrapped back around there because that is a, a really powerful connection this whole time is you just stayed around and realized what you gained by asking some extra questions, by making that connection. Right. That's right. Yeah. Getting his phone number. <laughs> So talk a little bit now about the the audience that you've built. Uh, you talked about opening up your shop. Those are things I don't know because I haven't had a successful Kickstarter. I didn't cover that with Robin and Michael. And I'd love to know what is the post Kickstarter world like for your mailing lists? So I would start with um, if you're brand new, nobody's ever heard of you. You might want to start with $100 or $200 or $250 in that range somewhere. Awesome. Um, because your goal is to be successful and have a, you know, have a successful first run. Yeah. And then if you've been around a little while and you kind of have some, sort, you might go to 500, but I'd stay in that range. I did mine's 500. And, um, and now I think it's over 10,000 at the moment. And um, then the, and I'm sorry. And then what's the next part of the question? Yeah, it, it really, it's the post, the, the post uh, Kickstarter. Oh, right, right environment of how, how you, you talk about yes. setting up a shop that's actually foreign language to me i have my shop but it's not the same shop you're talking about i don't think so then once the kickstarter's over and the paperwork's been done and, and the things are going out then um my shop at my website will go live and you can go shop there and that's going to be it for a little bit and then i'm going to go wide with this book and then mm. um somewhere in the uh end of the year it will be in Kindle Unlimited for six weeks only. Great. And so that's the cycle. So Kickstarter, my place, wide, Kindle Unlimited, and then back to wide. And uh, or and my shop will be open all the time. So you could mm. so and the cover on Kickstarter will only be available on Kickstarter or my store. Oh wow. So okay. So you have a separate Amazon, cover. Yes. Brilliant. I love that. Different. Yeah. You need you need separate and, ISPNs when you do something like that. Yes. Whenever you change some, yes. And the hard covers will only be available at Kickstarter or from me. Um, the paperback and the ebook will be what you can find wide. And um, what I, my goal is to, to eventually get people more used to coming straight to me. So that's what yeah. I'm working on. Absolutely. But you, know, you can create an arc of your own of whatever. And if you're brand, brand new to this, you might want to create a shorter arc. Maybe that's just too much, which is totally understandable. Mm-hmm. But I think I would strongly suggest to somebody these days to learn how to go wide yeah. right away. Yeah. And you can take the money you made on Kickstarter and uh, recycle it. So if you made $2,000, use that to um, do ads to go wide. And whatever you yeah. make there, just keep recycling that money and don't pay yourself that. Just keep recycling it. Yeah, that's absolutely a, an amazing way to grow is to keep pumping your money into new ad sets to to grow your influence and trust that, that every email address you add to the hopper is another opportunity to increase yeah. your dollars down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
so who are you using for your shop then? Or is it is the shop through Kickstarter Shopify. or do you, Shopify. Shopify? So okay, we both have Shopify stores then. So yeah. essentially you have Shopify a Shopify store, free. I do. I love them. Um they're fairly yeah. cheap and it, you can move a lot of yeah, units yeah. before you have to upgrade your plan or anything like that. Uh right. and the integration just with any kind of tool that you want to use is great. So I love Shopify. Okay. So you're you're on the back end, you're doing very similarly to what I'm doing. I'm bringing yes. people in by paying for Facebook ads. You're bringing people in by, and, and this is, thank you for, well, actually I jogged my own memory, kind of recapping where we've been. I wanted to ask you, what's a, what's a, a realistic dollar amount, or a, if you, if, if that's too numbery for you, what's a realistic kind of spending budget for a Kickstarter? Um, you, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause could, I mean, I think, you could go, you could do very little and go as high as 35,000. Um, mm. which people do. And, uh, if, you know, you may, it, you may hit a point where that becomes a reasonable thing to do because you're trying to hit 200,000 as a Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, but wow. when you start really, you got to ask yourself a different question. It's what can I afford? It's not, what do I need to spend? And so yeah. let's say you can't, you don't have much. Uh, so really that pre, um, period that you set up for yourself is going to become vital. So what you're looking for is newsletter swaps, which are free. And you're looking maybe for the influencer who wants $20. And so the more time you can give yourself to build that momentum, the better. So, and by the way, uh, pin the newsletter swaps. So they, they go throughout your Kickstarter period, not so they all are front end loaded. Okay. And, um, and look for the, the ways that you can do things that aren't going to cost you anything. But time will be the asset that you can use. And and so that's what you just said. You, you on the one hand, don't front load all of the newsletter swaps at the same time. But you you yes. need to ensure that you fully fund within 48 hours. You've come you've you've communicated that that is indeed true. So set your yeah. your your goal in such a way that, you know, you can get that many pledges. Um and then yeah. anything on top is just uh, icing on the cake. And that's where you want well, to spread out yes. the rest of your newsletter swaps. Right. Okay. And anything on top will either pay for the next Kickstarter, like book two or Amazon ads or something. Yeah. yeah. So you also decide like, is it some people just um, stay in Kickstarter for a while? They don't venture. Their arc is Kickstarter. And that's cool too. Yes. Because you can also... So let's say you stay in Kickstarter and now you have four books you've done and you've built up a nice little pile of money. You can do a, a rapid release on Amazon. And the reason why that's important is because Amazon's algorithms work in your favor for 30 days. So if you release book one and then book two, two weeks later, the algorithms are going to keep pushing everything for you. Well, you, oh, you know, okay. you get ads, but Amazon's also on your side pushing it as well. Mm. And you've already written the books. You've already given them to people. You hopefully uh, encourage them to come leave a review at your side yeah. site because you can set it up so people can actually leave reviews on your site. Mm-hmm. And you can use those in um, in the Amazon blurb underneath. You, you actually yes. now can put. So, um, yeah. So t- understand that time is a valuable commodity, which you mm-hmm. have if you if you give it to yourself, and you can get followers before the Kickstarter starts. Don't use money you don't have. Please don't do that. It's yeah. so much pressure on yourself. Right, I agree with you. And I have said to authors before, and I'm not ashamed to say this: 
that if you are saving up a retirement account and you're an author who believes in yourself, at least consider if the money you're putting in a retirement account would be better spent advertising your books now because they are permanent assets. Not enough writers think about their books as assets. Uh, and a 401k is at the mercy of Mr. Wall Street, whereas your book is at the mercy of you. And I guarantee you do better quality than the guy on Wall Street. So, uh, you know, funnel some of that out of your 401k into your, your book budget. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Nobody's ever been disappointed for betting on themselves, I don't think. And there are groups like Panther Urban Fantasy. There's lots of them that yeah. will let you post once a week. You know, you can't do it every day, but generally it's once a week. And uh, you're going to just consistently pick up a few here, a few there, and you're going to have a successful Kickstarter because you kept the the amount you had to reach low mm-hmm. and you were consistent. And yeah, you're going to get enough people. And then you're going to take those and build for the next one. And it's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. I told you we would go an hour, so I'm going to wrap up pretty quickly here. But I do want to ask you. I know I did. Uh, You, Yeah, you came out the gates like moving. I was so excited. And uh, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to ask you, are you using book funnel to fulfill your ebooks or audiobooks, or what is. Okay. All right. And so with let's talk just ever so briefly about the uh, the the newsletter swap, because I think that there are too many authors who don't realize that's out there. I will admit, I just realized the power of it recently. Uh, yeah, super powerful. Yeah, you just you just go and look and you can request a swap with anybody. I could theoretically request a swap with you. And that would be right. insane because I don't have a mailing list. Most likely, you know, you would you would deny, but that goes back to the asking and the comment and everything. So that's right. Talk to me just and- slightly about the etiquette and then I will let okay. you go. Well, also, um, you probably have a bunch of writer friends that you kind of started with. You, you know, you yep. kind of feel like you're all in the same grade. Yes. Those those are the people you want to start with to, uh, because you, uh, you're pulling for each other and you're going to rise together. The ones yep. who stick around, you're all going to rise together. So start with them and then reach for a few um, big fish and, you know, they can say no. If you're going to conventions... Um, you know, approach the bigger author, say hello, be polite, try and make a good impression. Don't ask them to read your book. Uh, and um, then later, you know, you can uh, keep um, in touch. I'm more likely to say yes to somebody that I can see because I do kind of keep a watch on people who mm-hmm. I can see is is really working it, that yeah. they're doing. I can tell they're putting in the work, that this matters to them, that um, they have the right attitude. I'm going to support that. And um, I will even go and find your Kickstarter and and personally support it because I can see how hard you're trying and I can tell when you're reading about how to do it because you're hitting all the marks. And I get impressed by that. You know, and I've also seen Kickstarters where I think, what the hell happened? (laughs) And, um, and I, you know, and they'll learn from it. It's not like I haven't done a few, what the hell happened, but, um, but Go get, you know, Russell Nolte has a book. I think Patty Finn is writing a book on Kickstarter and Mm. they have um, how to do the basics. And I used them when I was um, figuring out Kickstarter because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're starting from a base knowledge of zero. So go ask people, how do you do this? And my philosophy is you collect all the info and then you take what you like and you leave the rest. And eventually you got to do your own thing. And, um, Again, you're going to be okay. Set the goal low. Let yourself have a success. 
it, yeah, there is no prize in Bookland for saying, hey, I set the goal at $2,000 and made it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Good for exactly. you. No, yeah. It says it right up there in tiny print, you know, what your goal was, but mm-hmm. it's in tiny print. And really, they, they are not looking at that. They want to yeah. know what they can get. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, in a sense, pledging and knowing that they're going to get it because you hit your goal already is, is more likely right. to get you more pledges. Um, yes. And here's the other thing I do a lot of. I go and haunt everybody else's Kickstarter page looking for good ideas. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, yeah. yes. If you're on Kickstarter, chances are I've seen your page. <laughs> yes. You know, one of my, my recent book funnel uh, newsletter swaps, I, I told my people in my newsletter, because there are a lot of writers there, I said, even if you 100% are tired of being on so many lists, this is a person who has a massive list and watch what they do. Get those newsletters, open them, right. read them, yeah, yeah, yeah. pay attention because there's actually an education inside of the structure of a successful author's newsletter. So uh, don't, don't, you short, know, get fatigued. Uh, yeah. Yes. I'll guarantee you it's short. Yeah. You know, yes, it doesn't have a lot in it. Also, another thing I do did was so paid promos um, are generally affordable. They're mm-hmm. not as expensive. And Rain of Reads was doing a dragon promo and uh, to give away books that you know had a dragon theme. And I said, um, and I just told the truth. Can I participate if I only give away four chapters? And they said yes. So, and my link was to where you could sign up to get a notice. So I ended up with 500 emails that were wow. good ones for people I knew who liked uh, urban fantasy about dragons um, that I could then say, hey, the Kickstarter's open. And yeah. uh, so, you know. Okay, so let's let's do wrap it up. Um, again, remind everybody of your Kickstarter. I, of course, we'll have all of that linked in my show notes. We're in the last week. It's very exciting. Okay. All right. So tell everybody uh, where they can find it, and then I'll get everything in the show notes for you. Okay. So if you go to Kickstarter and you put in either Martha Carr, C-A-R-R, and by the way, when you're doing your Kickstarter, Kickstarter is very particular about the search words. So if you misspell something or if people Mm -hmm. know you as Michael and you put Mike, they're not going to find you. So it's, uh, yeah, keep that in mind. It's Martha Carr, C-A-R-R, and the title of it is Amon. But it's, it looks like E-A-M-O-N. And it's a fun book. I mean, how often do tabletop gamers get to be the heroes? You know, Right. I love it. Yeah. yeah that's. I think that was part of the success of that um, Ready Player One book. He couldn't follow it up with anything great. But I think that there were people who were like, wait a sec, the, the nerd gamer actually gets to be the hero? Yeah, that's so right. So in Amon, tabletop game, well, it's Queen of the Flightless Dragons is the trilogy. And the the heroes are, yeah, they're, and I had the artist, so the artist did a group um, shot for me that you'll see on the Kickstarter page. And at first he did the typical urban fantasy thing where everybody's buff. And I had to go back and say, no, these are gamers. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're not, we're not all ripped gamers here. (laughs) Yes. So he redid it for me. So you'll see it in there, how it looks like human beings instead of, like they could go in with a gun and a sword. That's fantastic. I love it. I'm looking forward to uh, jumping in and getting as many people and as many eyeballs as we can on this closing week. So thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the quick turnaround. And uh, I'll, I'll thank be in you touch. for the quick turnaround. Yeah, you bet. Glad to. So, all right. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?